Hello, and welcome to Publishers Weekly Insider. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. This week, February 14th, Valentine's Day, is the anniversary of the fatal shooting at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, which resulted in the deaths of 17 students. And to talk with us about what happened in the years since then is Dave Cullen, the author of Parkland. Hello, Dave. So glad you could join us. Hi, thanks for having me, Mark. So I, I, I want to kind of bookend this piece. I, I should mention first that you covered in depth the Columbine shooting in 1999 in your book titled Columbine two decades ago. What is the difference between these two events? I didn't set it out this way, but I think and I hope that these will be two bookends for the school shooter era. A horrible thing that I, I shudder to use that phrase. But Columbine was not the first school shooting, and Parkland already isn't the last, but Columbine is really the one that, that, that created this horror show and that all these other perpetrators have been imitating, and it's really what it ushered in this horrible school shooter era. And Parkland seems to be finally a way out, and I believe it will be the beginning of the end because 19 years in, this is kind of the despicable part, and this is why America followed these kids is we had done nothing. And and I think there was a buried shame that two decades in, like, come on, it's not just that we hadn't, we hadn't, we tried these things and nothing was working. We hadn't even really tried anything. And we, we didn't, we taught kids how to hide better, turn off the lights and lock the door. Turning off the lights is your defense against somebody with a submachine gun. So now we've got a way out. We, we do have, and, and I think this will be the way out. And, you know, the future will tell us. Um, but I think this will mark, looking back, historians will mark this as the, the, the final chapter of that horrible era. So you write about the secondary PTSD that you experienced after writing Columbine. And right. how, how was it that Parkland you decided to embark on after that first experience? <laughs> I, I kind of took a leap. I wasn't supposed to. So Columbine, the first year uh, working out, just covering it, I had secondary PTSD, which I didn't know existed. I think a lot of people still don't. And it took me down pretty hard. I had pretty bad depression. Uh, got help, learned what it was, and got over it. And I thought I was okay. And like a lot of us, uh, you know, went back to some dumb habits and, and thinking I was okay. And seven years out, I had a relapse that was much worse and much scarier. And so then I agreed to strict rules with my shrink. Um, and uh, I was able to study these things. I've gone to Virginia Tech and Las Vegas well after and with, with, a, with an academic group that, um, that's been fantastic and, and brings in, in, in victims and survivors who would normally not talk to journalists or people like me. So I've been doing that, but in an emotional distance. And so after Parkland, when my editor of Vanity Fair, who's also a friend of mine, um, called me about three days after and said, you know what, I know you're not allowed to go to these things, but um, would you consider going anyway? And I'm uh, sort of like, uh, let me think about it. But this one seemed different because I knew right away, like, because I already kind of wanted to, um, but I wanted to go back not to record or to document the horror of living through one of these and not like with Columbine to, to do the why and what drove the killers. Like, I don't give a... I don't know if I can swear. I don't give a shit about those um, about those, those selfish, you know, a holes anymore who are doing this. So I didn't go back 
for that. I, I went back because I could already see these kids were doing some amazing things. And I felt like this might be the start of a revolution. And I wanted to see what that was like. And if so, like, what did it take? And what the, you know, I was think, thinking initially just the first month. And then as I began envisioning it as a book, like, what's the first year of a revolution? It occurred to me while doing this that I'd always thought about, like, doing a book maybe about the civil rights era. And I always thought, you know, I, you know, want to, like, if only I could be at that. I have a dream speech and that what I would focus on a lot of that and Martin Luther King, the marches and so forth. The stuff in the 60s, probably passage of the, the Voting Rights Act in 1964. Now, after this, if I were doing it, I would go want to go back to the 50s, maybe even the 40s. I would want to know the early moments when people were beating down what they were doing, the Freedom Riders. I want to go with Martin Luther King when he went to India to meet with Mahatma Gandhi and learned. Um, and as I was thinking about it, that's that's what I wanted to do in this book. That is, if you know, 20, 30 years, we may look back on this as this movement that changed America on guns. What was the first year like when it was just in its infancy, the germination of this? I wanted to be on the ground with these kids and seeing what it took. And it was phenomenal. It was so much more than I ever would have imagined as a writer going in. Like, that's that's what I wanted to capture here. After you had written about this for, uh, I think you said Vanity Fair, uh, how did you form this as a book? Let's jump in right now and just tell us about the book. Sure. When it first happened, I was three years late on my book contract for my uh, Gay Soldiers book for HarperCollins. And so with my editor, Vanity Fair, I agreed, okay, five weeks, not a day more. I'm going to go through the march on Washington, and I'm just not going to tell my editor at HarperCollins. But then when I got down there, I was like, this is such a better story than I could imagine. And I started thinking of it as a book. And actually, about the first week, I called my agent, my first, first trip down there, I called my agent and luckily got a voicemail and said, I want to talk to you about something. Cause I'm thinking like, maybe this could be a book. I was so excited. Uh, she couldn't talk right away. And the, later that day, she said like, okay, I can talk this afternoon. I had already decided that's really stupid. I, this probably isn't a book and like, that's crazy. And I'm going to sound like an idiot. So I said, never mind, it's nothing. And then my second week long trip down there about a month out, uh, talking with the kids, I was so just energized again and seeing the possibilities here. I called her back and I said, um, okay, I think this could be a book. And I made out, um, I kind of storyboarded it on my wall. I always do like, I have these big whiteboards and I, I, I mapped out a storyboard and then I put it on kind of a more permanent thing on the wall. And I, I broke it into four columns for main parts. The major parts of the book were Genesis, The March, moving on and midterms. So those are my four columns. And then within there, each of those, I put what might be chapters or events. So under Genesis, then I have several headings, which might be chapters, slumber party, which is them getting together at Cameron's house uh, in his living room, creating it, Tallahassee, back to school. Then under the March, I have like maybe chapters of walkout number one, Memes Men, which is sort of this behind-the-scenes thing that was kind of amazing of how they created this stuff. Inner-city partners, and then the march itself. And then I have like a little thing off to the side of the killer, which I wasn't sure what I was going to do with him, if anything. Then under Moving On is the third part of the book of Twitter Battles, which I ended up throwing out. Walkout number two, Spring Musicals, and Graduation. 
And then I had another term, a column for midterms, and all I have under there is primaries in the future. What, what I have found as a writer, what really helps me is to have a structure. In writing school, one of my profs called it a trellis. And that, that metaphor really works for me is like that, to hang the stuff on. I don't know if people know, like a trellis in gardening, it's like what, you know, your tomatoes, your, your vines grow up. Sure. And sure. Um, yeah, it's kind of a last work. And um, he told me then, it's like, you just need a structure. And it's like, it doesn't have to end up that way. It's a way for you to conceive of it. And this really helped me. It's like, okay, I could slot other things in there. So like lots of other chapters came in, but I, I had, I mean, you know, like a frame and a, a place to put these things in a kind of conception. And, you know, I'll tell you, I had grave doubts, though, about, like, whether this really was a book and how it would have held together. As I was doing it, I had to have faith that a story, more than just a series of events, a storyline would present itself and would develop, and it did. I mean, that's it's, it's a pretty amazing layout right there of how a writer approaches a book. Now I want to talk about your access to you spent a lot of time with these students as you told told us uh, as you explained to us but um i want to jump right in to talk about how quickly after the shooting these students got together and let's start maybe with cameron kasky the uh, theater student who was the first to tweet uh hashtag never again yeah well you know it was right away so i think part of why this became so powerful is the first night so many kids started doing things immediately. Three kids did something huge. Jackie Corrin went home and started organizing this really first strike on Tallahassee to happen at the state government in one week. And her focus is don't hit Washington. That's too big. That'll take too long. I want something like I want buses rolling in five or six days. And so she was organizing that already. David was already on national television addressing America, calling us out and putting this on the map and making this happen. Cameron went home and did something different than everybody else and most movements like this. He was on social media saying, something has to change. This is completely unacceptable. I don't know what it is. I don't have an answer. Help me find it, help me figure it out. And he was on several social media. He created IDs on basically all the big ones and he said, contact me on any of these. And if you want to help, join me. He went to bed and he woke up in the morning, inboxes full on all of these and kids showing up at his house from his high school. And this tremendous outpouring, like, yes, me too. I feel exactly the same way. I don't know what to do. And so he created the team. And then David and Emma came to this house. Emma Gonzalez, before she gave the I Call BS speech, no one ever knew she would be a star. She came to Cameron's house and was part of the group in the living room. He called Jackie, had no idea she was already planning this thing on Tallahassee. And he's like, wow, that's amazing. Okay, let's join forces. They all joined forces. And there were two dozen kids doing this. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> the day after, um, you know, Cameron came up with a never again hashtag, tweeted that. Um, he said, I think, uh, what was it? It is Star Wars pajamas while sitting on the toilet. Uh, he said he came up with it. He loves, so Cameron's like that. He loves to, you know, tell you like the, uh, ridiculous details like that. He's, he's a trip. He's a wonderful guy. Um, but so he was immediate. And then, then they had 20 some people working on this together. So that, that's, that's how and why it took off. 
And then it led to, and you talked about this, the March for Our Lives in Washington, D.C. I mean, we have to remind ourselves that this is all within 12 months, and you're writing of this within 12 months. All of this happened very quickly. So quickly. You know, so the Vietnam War, I think most of us think of like the biggest protest era in American history, certainly in our lives, was the 60s and the Vietnam era. And it took a decade to finally reach its crescendo. The largest protest at that point in American history was the last big one of the Vietnam era, I think in 1973. I believe I have the year in the book. So that was the biggest American one day had ever experienced. And then that was later topped by the Women's March. Mm -hmm. And then, and again, by the second Women's March. Then the March for Our Lives kids came, and they're sort of in a virtual tie um, for third or fourth place ever with the biggest output of the Vietnam era. And what took those people 10 months, excuse me, 10 years, and college students and people in their 20s, this band of high school kids did a comparable thing in five weeks. 17, 16, 18-year-olds. Unbelievable. So, Dave, tell us about the books that inspired you while writing this book and or Columbine. Several books. I, I got really four, and in two different categories, two, two, two different things. And it's really the books that um, that helped while writing Columbine, and it's sort of the same books. Uh, so while writing Columbine, I took a whole stack of uh, books, a, a lot of the, the, the classics, actually, which included – well, and books that really helped me, like The Perfect Storm and The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test and The Right Stuff. But the two that really helped me on structure were Devil in the White City and Faulkner, believe it or not, As I Lay Dying. Mm. Because with Columbine, I decided to have 10 protagonists and 10 separate stories that I would weave together. And The Devil in the White City did two brilliantly to the point where when I was first reading the story about the uh, the architects and, you know, switched over to the psychopath, the killer, I was like, no, 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 I want to read more about the architects. Um, and then whatever, it was like eight or ten pages later, you know, the next segment was on the psychopath. And I ended like, like no, no, I want to read about this guy. Don't go back to the architects. And after about like 20, 30 pages, I realized I'm doing that every time. And I'm like, I'm loving the one that I'm with. And I'm like, that's fantastic. And I realized right then, okay, if you're going to have two completely different storylines you gotta nail each one every time and you need to leave them with like not necessarily a cliffhanger in fact actually i love the book i thought maybe it got a little cheesy ish on a little too cliffhangery it got a little too cute sometimes with the cliffhangers that would be my maybe my one note but i love the way he did that and then as i lay dying i read for the first time while writing columbine and i was like wow because i wanted to give a lot of different perspectives and I was like, wow, Faulkner, like, I mean, he just throws you at, like, at first, I, you know, like everyone reading it, like, I didn't even know what was going on for a while in some chapters. And then, and then I got, I was like, wow. So he goes so much further to actually changing the point of view. And I was like, if he can do that, and I, as a reader, not only get it, but, like, love it. And it really, it, like, okay, I can do this with 10 protagonists. Um, and so those were really the two that helped me figure out how to do it and gave me faith that I could. And then in, in this book with Parkland, I didn't have 10. I, they weren't separate protagonists. It was really all one storyline. But it was, again, I wanted many different perspectives on the same story. So you had the people like, you know, Cameron and the stars, Cameron and um, 
David and, and Emma Gonzalez, and then the people you didn't know behind the scenes really making it happen, Jackie Corrin, uh, you know, Alfonso and Daniel Duff, and then you have the Peace Warriors, and then you have Tio Manny. So they were kind of doing different things, always juggling multiple characters in a different way. And characters not just, uh, all books have a lot of characters, but usually they're sort of interacting more. Well, I guess actually Anna Karenin, yeah, which I also read recently, kind of helped too. Um, and I, I just sort of adore Tolstoy. So those are all helping in terms of how to do it in structure and, and storytelling. The other set is two, but it's just the same person. It's just Lucia Berlin. Um, and her two books, A Manual for Cleaning Women, uh, and then the newer one, uh, An Evening in Paradise, or just Evening in Paradise. The authenticity and just um, the way to approach a story and to tell it. She was a mentor of mine. Uh, I mean, she was my biggest mentor in writing school long before she was famous. And she, well, she also taught me um, what I've figured out now. I hope this doesn't sound too pretentious. Is uh, sort of like method writing, but I mean, like like method acting. Mm-hmm. So what I do, I don't really, I never call myself as a journalist. I don't think of myself as a journalist. Like, I don't interview people to sort of like take down the good quotes. I'm not listening for the money quote. While I'm interviewing them, I try to understand what they're feeling. I try to feel it, like take that into me. And I'm even questioning, them, oh, so was it like this or was it like that? I, I try to like feel in my body what they're going through and live vicariously like what they lived so then that I can spill that onto the page. Like I almost like impersonate them or I feel it and then spill that onto the page, hoping you as a reader, then it's absorbed into the page. And when you're reading it, it feels like not just you're in the room with them, but you feel like it's what it's like to be them. It really happened with Columbine. She'd already died, but it was already sort of in my head. as like the more violent and powerful the scene, the more quieter, my voice should be mm. and that this will speak for itself and i so these are sort of all now imbued in me in parkland and i think that's that's what has an effect on me i absolutely love your uh, method acting approach to writing dave thank you so much for talking with us thanks this has been great thanks for having me on i, I love talking books i love i'm glad you talked about the process for our listeners out there, check out our February 25th issue of Publishers Weekly, where we're going to be talking about books related to guns and gun control, written by Claire Kirk. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe to PW Insider on iTunes, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>